Well, I woke up at the station Miles from your company With your conscience asleep in my pocket Yeah, no, nothing that you thought you'd need So I spent my time in the hollow You on and off my feet Followed you down to the depths of the west But you never everyone and welcome back to today's episode of Blind Love Radio. I am your host Anna Rosen and today is long overdue. Um, I did this episode or recorded this conversation with Sarah from Ecstatic Rabbit Tarot. She just started her new tarot business as a teacher and a mentor you can hear Pacino in the background. I apologize. Um, but this conversation was so fun. She is just a wealth of knowledge about tarot. She's so articulate. Oh my gosh, her voice, like the actress in her just came through by leaps and bounds. Um, so much talent in such a person. <laughs> I just love it. Um, so I wish I had gotten this out earlier, but all things in good time, right? Happy airy season. My dog's going crazy, so I'm going to keep this nice, short, and sweet. Don't miss this episode. Definitely listen to the whole thing. It's kind of long, as are most of my episodes. If you know, you know. Um, but oh my gosh, she just, we touch on so many topics. It's so cool how she kind of takes two different tarot cards that are like a little bit similar. And then we kind of go into how they differ and how to get different meaning out of each of them. I just loved that. Um, she just has a really cool way of reading of like, telling a story and it's just magical this whole conversation is magic my dog is literally gonna nibble off my arm now so I've got to go um but strap in because this is a really good one um and definitely check out Sarah Corbin Wolf on Instagram ecstatic.rabbit.tarot and I will link her website if you want to take any classes with her um, and all that good stuff in the show notes. So I love you guys. Smooches. <laughs> That's Pacino. <laughs> and I'll talk to you later. Okay, bye.
Okay, so welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you so much. Um, so uh, my name is Sarah Corbin Wolf. I am the uh, the whatever <laughs> founder of um, Ecstatic Rabbit Tarot, uh, formerly known as Ecstatic Rabbit Tarot and Coaching, now known as Ecstatic Rabbit Tarot and Education. Um, ever morphing a very sort of organic uh, process for that business. But, you know, the upshot is I offer tarot readings uh, in a wide range of, of sizes. And um, in the last year and change now, have really dug into um, offering classes, uh, which I love so much. Um, arguably, I am a teacher before anything else. And so bringing tarot and teaching together has been super satisfying and super challenging. Um, and it's something that I'm really excited to carry forward. So yeah, tarot and education is, I think, the tagline, the tagline of the moment and for the foreseeable future. <laughs> so how did you get into tarot? How did you get your first deck? Yeah, so my mom gifted me my first deck. I've, I was just the other day trying to figure out how old I was. Um, probably. <laughs> 12, probably 11 or 12. It was that deck. It was a Rider White Smith, you know, from Barnes and Noble with like the little, it came in a little box and it had a little booklet and the whole thing. Um, and I had that deck up until I recently in the last couple of years gifted it to a friend, which is maybe something we'll talk about gifting decks. because that's like a fave, a fave thing of mine. I gifted um, my Rider White to somebody and that felt so good. She was like learning I mean, tarot. It, it, Right? Yeah. It's so good. It felt I mean, so I, right like, to like pass it along. Exactly. Now, I still do have like three or four different versions of the Rider White <laughs> deck still, or the Rider White Smith. Um, but yeah, I, I, it, it's a really like warm and cozy feeling, uh, I think, to pass it on. Even though I don't think that you like need to be gifted your first deck like that whole mythology, I don't buy into that. Um, but I still think it's a really sweet thing. Plus, it kind of enables my deck collecting because I'm like, I'll just, you know, have it around to, to gift on when the time comes. Yeah. Do you have like a million decks or are you oh like God. a tried and true? It really, you know, it's I've been giving them away. So it's like a pretty, like fairly steady in and out. But I think I just I just moved into a new apartment and I counted up my decks. I think I came to... 15 even of my tarot decks and then like five or six oracle decks i think That's not and, bad. and within that 15, it's not bad at all and within that 15 is i think three different versions of the rider white smith right now because i have a big the like big giant card version for teaching i have a regular size uh that i that i use for clients often and then i have like a little mini one that has been with me through thick and thin and you can tell from looking at the cards um but yeah none of those are the decks that my mother first gave me although they certainly have the same imagery um but yeah she gifted me that in middle school and um my what mom a cool is she yeah she's like low-key super witchy my a friend of mine, one of my first witchcraft teacher, we used to have a running joke of like, your mom's a witch. Like, I would mention stuff that my mom does, and my friend would just go, Sarah, like, hello, <laughs> duh. And like, yes and no, you know. Um, it's been a really interesting journey for me to go on my sort of in and out of the word witchcraft 
but my, my sort of spiritual journey and for her to kind of watch and go, oh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, right. That is that thing. Um, but yeah, very cool mom. Uh, very cool household to grow up in. A lot of spiritual exploration uh, running through my veins. And um, yeah, I used to, I was a, always a sucker for dress up, which is part of, you know, I always joke that I, I have an MFA in acting. And uh, have, you know, run with some theater companies and, and theater is a big part of my life. And I always joke that uh, I got into theater just to play dress up. And similarly, I would bring uh, my tarot deck to school, uh, just the major arcana, though, because that, you know, why, why bother with anything <laughs> but the drama? <laughs> and, love that. Uh, you know, like wearing a big old skirt and like a little vest over like a sort of poety blouse situation, you know, very... Um, bohemian very 19th century vibes and uh you know pull the deck out or pull the, just the majors out at recess i remember on this like particular little cement block i think outside like either a storage shed or a bathroom but i remember the building i just don't remember what was in it and like read for my friends um i think i would pull three cards i think i would bring the book along i i like to go by the book that is kind of a personality thing so I don't think that I was just pulling interpretations out of thin air, a.k.a. intuition. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of my, my tarot origin story. And then ever since then, for the last oh, 16 years or so, I've been um, in and out of my life until I think 2017 is when I started the business. So what is your, like, what's the deck that you use the most now? Oh my gosh. It really rotates by chapter of my life. And that's something that's part of how I wound up collecting them is because I would go, I need a reset. I need some new input. I need new images and a new um, visual relationship. Um, so right now I grab the Rider White Smith Centennial, which has those sort of gorgeous muted colors and the super photogenic back. Um, I use that with clients, although I also until recently was using the spacious tarot with clients, which I love because it's an animal based deck. So we don't have to contend with, you know, all of the baggage that can come along with human bodies um, in, in, and their representations. But for myself, I am using the, um, the apparition by Mary Evans, which is a really intense deck and, and one that has been on my radar for a very long time. Um, but that I had been frankly like, mm, I think I was, I was kind of nervous about how drawn I was to it because it's very colorful and the art is inspired by like folk art and all of that is, not what I'm used to being drawn to you know I my first like non-traditional deck that I invested in my first like expenditure which I did with the first you know chunk of my income when I started the business was the pagan otherworld deck by the Uzi studio which I still absolutely love but like that's what I'm used to being drawn to you know very sort of um renaissance like 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 beautiful for lack of a better word um there's something very elegant about it uh and apparition is like raw and visceral and has an element of nonsense to it, which I, which I just love. So that's what I've been turning to for personal, personal stuff lately. 
So I use the Pagan Otherworlds deck all the time. Um, like so- It is my deck. I love it. And I was cleaning out my dresser. I'm going to like move it into another room. So I was like cleaning everything out. And I have like so much tarot stuff in there. <laughs> and I have this like zombie deck. Like I never really oh. used it, but I got it when I was like making these tarot letters, which was like a fun little yeah. capsule. <laughs> um, yeah. But I like had pulled my card of the day already and I had pulled the Ace of Cups and I was just like, oh, I'll pull one from the zombie deck too. Like I just found it just for fun. And of course, I pull the Ace of Cups also. And I'm like, does it even matter what you're using? (laughs) Yeah, that's such a good question. And like, for a while last year, at the beginning of last year, I was kind of on this kick of like trying to find a deck for client readings and trying to like find a deck and stick with it and like trying to move towards something that wasn't, like I said, didn't have so much human um, body representation in it. And I went through a deck called the, the Vinder Tarot, which I absolutely love. And then that, like I said, that spacious tarot, which is beautiful. And I just, I recently came back to Rider White Smith and like, yeah, I don't know how much it matters. I feel I like the Rider Waite Smith deck like hits different though. Yeah, it's got you know, and this kind of comes around to like what I like <laughs> when I teach classes. Oftentimes, um, one of my like introductory first day sort of check in questions is like the way that I try to phrase it is what What do you think makes tarot go? <laughs> the same way like what's the gasoline like what are we working with here what is our fuel is it coincidence is it magic is it god is it like what is what's going on here and I think that um in a sense like yeah it it if certain images resonate with a client or with a with a person learning to read for themselves like that's what matters most you know the rest of it like the rest of it's crazy. <laughs> so what do you think makes it go? Oh gosh, I love not knowing the answer to that question because I, I don't have a lot of practice not knowing answers to questions. Um, what I, what I really, <laughs> I <love> that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's some, some deep, some deep, uh, uh, personal vulnerability is lived in not knowing answers. What's your, um, uh, what's your signs too? <laughs> I'm a Scorpio sun, a Capricorn moon, and a Sagittarius rising. Ooh, I love that. What a combo. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, need for control in there. Uh-huh. Even in the Sagittarius, because the Sagittarius is kind of wild and crazy as it can be. It's like, no, no, I pick where the adventure is. Yes, um, that is my mom. You know, she is a yeah, big Sag. Yeah. And that is her <laughs> summed up in a sentence. <laughs> And I have so little air in my chart. My only air is in my Saturn. And I was raised by two air signs. So, yeah, it's a whole it's a whole thing. <laughs> Where's your Saturn, Aquarius? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how yep. does your Saturn so, return? I know we're, oh, like, bouncing around. But... It's a hellscape. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I'm going through some very, very deep, um, how shall we put it? Um, let's call it deep personal investigation. Um, but a lot of that has to do with uh, release of expectation. You know, what I like to say about Saturn Return is that it's fundamentally about restructuring. 
Um, you know, and for some people it looks like getting their shit together. For some people it looks like letting their shit fall apart. Mine is a little more the latter. Um, but I, I, my, my next chapter that I have begun in the last month is, um, living alone for the first time. Um, not with roommates, not with my husband, not with my parents. And, um, it's like very difficult. And uh, very mysterious to me. I'm a little like, wh- why am I doing, why? <laughs> what? What is this? Um, but it's so clearly like what I need to do in order to actually figure out what the ingredients even are that I need to restructure. So, I mean, there's, there's like many, many therapy sessions and a whole other podcast on that. But um, yeah, it really, I think, is about this restructuring. And, and to... <laughs> I mean, in a way, that ties back to this question of, like, what what is at work here? Because um, I like to joke that I am I love to be cynical about astrology, but I completely live my life by it. Like, with tarot, I think it's whatever it needs to be on that day. And I think this, you know, this is kind of my spiritual perspective overall. I, I kind of think, like, the magic of it is that we don't know and we'll never know. Something I like to say about the Wheel of Fortune card is that, like, it's it's gesturing to the powers at work that we will never understand. And oftentimes, I think the Wheel of Fortune, when it comes up, is an invitation to like let go of that need to understand. Like, stop trying to push the wheel and trust that it's gonna go, and you may never understand why, how, where, when, any of those questions. And so, for me, I find that like my definition of like let's say quote unquote God or spirit or highest self or whatever it might be, even coincidence, um, changes as I need it to. You know, I will say that in the last couple of years, I've been deeply drawn back to the sort of Jewish Old Testament God of my childhood. I was raised Jewish. I identify as Jewish. Um, and my practice of Judaism is sort of trickling back into my, my sort of daily and weekly routines. And you know, it's not lost on me that like during plague times, I turned to a God that like is really, really strongly associated with plague. So like, what do I, what do I need to live my best life and be uh, the person that I want to be and show up in integrity for my community, for my people, for myself, um, whatever version of spirit uh, helps me with that on a given day is the version of spirit that I'm going to run with. And I think the same goes for tarot. Like, Whoever's showing up to help me pick the card, that's that's who's making it run on that particular day. Do you pay attention to like your card of the year? I do. I love how arbitrary it is. Um, I love that there's different ways of doing the math. It's one of those things that I find so delightfully non-scientific, <laughs> you know, but I totally, totally do buy into it. Um, what are you with? Mysterious. I'm in a I'm in a lover's year, right alongside the the communal. That's um, so cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I'm pretty sure that the math of my birthday like always adds up to the same. Is that true? I don't. I don't. There's something like for a couple of years now. I've been. I haven't done this this mathematics, <laughs> but I, I. There's something where like I like I was in a higher year last year. I'm in a lover's year this year. I think. Do you often um, but, see like your experience paralleling the collective experience? 
that's actually something that I'm really curious to keep an eye out for this year. Um, I, I haven't, I've been so deep in my shit. (laughs) Um, you know, 2021 was really a year where I learned that like, and I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, hesitant to say this, but, but, and cautious about how, how I explain it, but it was really a year where I learned that my mental health sometimes really requires that I step away from staying up to date in the world and trusting that I can contribute again to my community on various concentric circles um, without necessarily knowing everything that's happening all the time. That has to be hard for like a sad rising. Oh my God. You know, I feel so guilty about it a lot of the time. And you know, my therapist is like, it's okay. You're allowed to (laughs) do that. Like you reading and stressing about the New York Times homepage is not going to help you show up for, again, the people in, in my life, um, the, the, my clients, the participants in my classes. Um, so with, with that, like, it's been tricky for me to track. Um, you know, I listened to Tenny Nicholas pretty, pretty uh, devotedly, regularly. And so she'll often mention, like, what's happening in the world and, and how the astrology connects to it. And I definitely feel... Let's put it this way. Like, I do feel a sense of collective resonance. You know, I, I am kind of a believer in a collective unconscious, for lack of a better term, and that we are, that we, that we share experiences, even if those experiences like manifest in different ways of the actual tangible logistical uh, details. But like deep down, I think that we do as, as a humanity share, share kind of the themes. Um, And as far as me resonating with the, with the, the card of the year specifically, yeah, like I said, I, I, I'm, I'm yet to, to feel like, oh my God, I have no, I have no aha moment of that happening, but I'm very curious this year because I am very intentionally embracing this lover's year, um, to try to understand, cause that's a card that I've never really understood. Um, I actually just before we hopped on was listening to the latest episode of Sarah Faith Goddess Beaners podcast, Moonbeaming. Um, where she's interviewing uh, Sanyu Estelle and talking about the shadow of the lover. Very interesting so far. Um, but yeah, this idea of being a mirror for myself goes right on uh, hand in hand with living on my own, hand in hand with the Saturn return. And, and it'll be very interesting to see um, if the collective can start to look in the mirror a little bit more as well. Or now that we are looking in the mirror, kind of do something about it. It's interesting to think about the fact that you're trying to build boundaries with the collective, like not looking at the news as much is so Saturn in Aquarius. Yeah, there's something very like, let me just shoot off to a different planet for a bit and then I'll come back and be ready to do my work. (laughs) And that is kind of how this feels, you know, like moving into this apartment and going, okay, um, Time to figure out, like, yeah, you know, I'm going to draw a a really interesting line tying back to my Judaism. The last year or so has been kind of the first time that I've uh, considered that anti-Semitism affects, like, my body. (laughs) 
<laughs> like me specifically. Like there are people in this world who would rather that my body not be all that it is. And I've experienced that as a woman and I've experienced that as someone whose body doesn't fit the, the sort of beauty standards of my industry. Um, but to link that to my Judaism is really, really new and different. And I, I think that the reason I bring that up is because I have been in mind of the fact that I've spent a lot of energy considering the oppression of others, which we, I believe we all should do. Um, and now it feels a little like, hey, <laughs> might be time to consider your own oppression as well. And I think that what that, what the purpose that that can serve is not only my generosity and empathy with myself, but I also think that by understanding my experience, it enables me to be more empathetic, generous, understanding, and when I cannot understand, considerate um, and respectful of the experience of others. Yes, I feel so lovers. Yeah, I guess it does, doesn't it? There's that thing of like turn to the self in order to be able to turn outwards, like trust the self to trust the other. Yeah, that's a really good point. I had to put that together. Thank you. Yeah. Um, how do you feel with starting this new chapter in this new beginning, especially being a Scorpio? I feel mm. like there's a big <laughs> attachment with like endings or transitions or yeah. even staying in something. Yeah. But like this new, um, fresh chapter. It's terrifying. And it doesn't, it doesn't, um, it doesn't feel good. <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> yeah. feel good yet. You know, and I keep, I, I, um, I think I'll, I'll, I'll call upon another, another tarot reader who, um, Sam from Waxwing Tarot. I recently received a, uh, tarot in the mail that they were offering and the, the note was like I'm so sorry this Aww. is so rude of the tarot because you know um I'm, I'm fairly transparent with them about like what's going on in my life and and the card that came up is the hanged man and it's like yeah <laughs> this feel like this for a bit you know and I think it's I don't know this is where I do wonder how much we're all I mean like damn this this pandemic huh you know huh. like we, <laughs> yes. we've been go right like I feel like I've gotten to the chapter in in this sad experience where I kind of forget that it's a thing like call it normal call it agitation call it whatever and so when I kind of when I try to give myself some grace I remember that and and that helps me also give grace to the specifics of my life. Um, so yeah, no, it doesn't feel good. And I think that my Scorpio, I also like my Venus is in Scorpio. And I think that there's a lot of attachment to nostalgia um, and to uh, like the stories and memory and all of that sort of um, finding purpose and meaning in what has, what has been. Um, and that can be a gift, right? Like, I think that that's why Scorpio's association with the death card can be so powerful because it is this ability to grieve and this ability to, like, make space for what has been lost that is difficult for everyone, like, whether or not you have Scorpio placement. 
But I think I have what the, it's a stellium. Is that when I've got I've got like a million planets in Scorpio, and so there is mm-hmm. this like deep, deep um, yeah nostalgia. I think is the word that I'm going to so bring up. It's and, in your twelfth house. Um. Yeah. So I don't really. I think we've we've moved out of my out of my astrology depth. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> I think so because sad, Scorpios before Sag, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. so if you were a Sag rising, it would be in your twelfth house. So right, that's pretty right. intense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in general, it, yeah, exactly, exactly. And it and it it's really funny because it also kind of leaves. There's these like stragglers in the rest of my astrology, like. Um, last year was a big year for integrating my, my Mars and Sagittarius, um, which is kind of like left out. Like hung oh, out I have Mars and Sag. It's, it's so mine is like super unintegrated and it's a very intense thing. It is. is that I feel yeah. like it's either like really hurting me or really helping me. Yeah, that's such a good way of putting it. No, I think that that's absolutely right. Cause it can be like the, like the, to come back to the metaphor, like the gasoline, like it can be yes. such fuel but it doesn't really know when to like turn off the ignition <laughs> yes you can get really burned then, out I think exactly exactly and that's like you know I think that it was on really on high for all of 2020 and then 2021 I was like okay can we like coax this fire back down to some to some just like some nice holes you know for some nice warmth but not not so destructive and now it's like, all right, how do we, how do we try to relight that fire, but like not, not let it get out of hand. Um, that must be so yeah. interesting, like in relationship with other people too, since it's like yeah. across from yeah. your descendant. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the short answer. Yeah. We don't have to go there. I feel like that's <laughs> a lot, but. <laughs> it, is, it is a lot. And I think that, you know, I mean, what, what I will say is that I, um, now I'm about to use a term that I don't really quite know what it means. Um, but I think that like in 2020, my, my toxic masculinity was on high. Um, mm. And I, I point to the sort of abandoned toddler, four-year-old boy of my Mars and Sagittarius feeling abandoned and feeling left out and feeling ostracized um, as a big uh, root source of a lot of that, a lot of that behavior on my part. So I'll I'll leave that there. <laughs> That's nice that you have the south node going out of your first house. Mm-hmm. I've heard mm-hmm. a lot of sad rising people happy about that. There, uh, you know, you asked before about the sense of new, and I will say that like there is undeniably a sense of a. Uh, I, I I don't know about a fresh start, but definitely like a beginning in a way that it's kind of felt like I was pushing for a beginning for the last couple of years. And now the beginning is like, we took our sweet ass time. And now, now the beginning is, is here. And I'm even looking. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And it's like, you kept like, I kept trying to push the wheel of fortune. The wheel of fortune was like, Nope, you're just going to have to wait your fucking turn. (laughs) I feel like the wheel of fortune really makes you wait. Oh man. When you start pulling that card, it's like, that's all you're doing for a couple of years. That surrender. And it's one of those cards where like, you know, something I love to bring up in, uh, in my classes when I'm teaching is, is like to ask us to really discern between different cards. 
you know, so some of my favorites are like, okay, let's take a look at justice and judgment and figure out like, what is the difference there? Let's take a look at the two of cups and the lovers and ask like, what, what difference is made by between the minor and the major? Like, what are we, what are the details and the nuance of the distinction? And one of the ones that I, that I keep thinking about right now is the hanged man or the hanged one and uh, the wheel of fortune. Because both have this sense mm. of surrender. Mm-hmm. Both like ask us to um, sort of fall backwards in a way. Um, and that even makes me think of a tower falling backwards. So yeah, there's, there's, those are, this, this, what this, do you think the differences are? Okay. I want to like stop there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is kind of off the top of my, and it's completely off the top of my head, not kind of, but I think what, what first occurs to me is that the hanged one has this, if we consider the Rider White Smith, you know, Pamela Coleman Smith, um, illustration, the hanged one has this halo. And we see an individual, we see a person specifically in the hanged one. Whereas in the Wheel of Fortune, um, we see powers at work, right? We have those four corners with the... um, It's like a little bit bigger picture. Yeah, like it's like we're getting this glimpse and, and there's all those symbols and letters and like I had so much fun when I when I teach I give uh, participants assignments to look up symbols um, so that we can kind of do a little bit of like collective sourcing on um, that like deep dive of research and so the Wheel of Fortune was really fun because I was throwing like wild stuff at people like looking up those runes looking up Hebrew letters looking up like the symbols of the fixed signs that also like correspond to the apostles like all of this stuff not the apostles I'm getting my Christian mythology wrong but um, <laughs> that aside, in the hanged one, we just see this person with a halo around their head. So it's almost like, and this is very much the first time I've had this thought, the halo to me implies that that person has accepted the powers that be that we see in the Wheel of Fortune. So they're able to be in this state with grace um, in a way that when we get the Wheel of Fortune, we're a little like still wrestling, still trying to that um mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah i like that yeah, yeah. i really resonate I- with like i pulled the i feel like i pulled the tower i think it was on the bottom of my deck and i had pulled you know when it kind of mm-hmm. like gives you a little bit of the flavor of the reading mm-hmm. um and i had pulled the hanged one with it and I feel like I was kind of thinking, like, how do these go together? <laughs> I was really hoping, like, oh, like, maybe it won't be that bad. Like, yeah. but it was. It definitely was. <laughs> but, yeah, the tower is so, yeah. <laughs> but, like, yeah. after you have this really, this sense of peace, like, yeah. once I was able to accept what was going on, you're like, yeah. it wasn't meant for me. Like, and that's fine. Yeah. And you're kind of grieving mm-hmm. your expectations. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really, really powerful way of putting it. Grieving your expectations. I've been thinking a lot about grieving old hope. Yes. That's oh, my God. Chills. Of- totally. And that comes back to the nostalgia thing for me, at least. And the, and the Scorpio thing of that sort of attachment and that grip. Into yes. The- because, like. 
we can lay old hopes to bed. That doesn't mean that it's failure. That doesn't mean that we were foolish. That's a hard one for me. My Capricorn moon is like, you idiot. And I'm like, no, <laughs> leave me be. You know, actually, my newsletter that I'm sending out like tomorrow for this new moon is all about the fact that I've started rewatching Downton Abbey. And that has been an extremely difficult and painful process, if you can believe it, because it's integrating my inner teenager's hopes and fears and um, desires for what my life would look like. And of course, it looks everything and nothing like I thought it would. Ooh, and that's I'm so interesting. Everything. But like, it's that old hope, that old expectation and and to go to, to receive it with grace and like treat it the same way we treat an inner child. Um and and yeah yeah to allow that shimmering um optimism and idealism to be shimmering in its time and and to not uh to not see it as foolish or to or to see it as foolish and reconsider the fool <laughs> in the tarot and how how powerful that is yeah, because you let allow, like, for new beginnings power. then. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like, to let it be to let it be beautiful instead of silly. Or, mm-hmm. or let the silly be beautiful, I think is a better way of putting it. Yeah, I love that. And the messy. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. Because yeah. it's not, yeah. like, the position you'd want to be in. It might be, right. like, uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. And the tower, I mean, that's part of why I love the tower is like comparing the two figures who are falling out um, because one is really struggling and the other kind of surrenders, but like they both hit the ground, <laughs> you know? Oh, There's that's so this... interesting. I never thought of that. Yeah. Right. And it's similar. It, it's mirrored again in the moon card, uh, two cards later, um, where you see the two, like, let's call them dogs. Um, also, you know, having these different responses. To what's in front of them and yet both are in the same situation so i think that's a big gesture to simultaneity which oh my god um, i have to pull out my moon card and look <laughs> it's it's it just recently came up in a class in like a very very deep way um yeah that card is that card is wild <laughs> can you talk a little <laughs> bit more is- about the moon card i want to hear what oh yeah i mean i think i think it's it's one i find that my grip on it is elusive which I'm grateful for. Because um, it like is elusive in itself. Exactly. It's very form and content. Yeah. And <laughs> um, I think that, you know, it's actually funny. Let me see if I can find this in the deck. Um, Ooh, they are howling so differently. That's so right? interesting. Yeah. Can I tell you so, a weird story? Please do. I love weird stories. Okay. So my we had this little chihuahua for a long long time Mm -hmm. and she passed away last year Mm. and Mm. it was like so much grief yeah and I was like I need another dog Mm. and we like couldn't find a dog (laughs) because of the pandemic and everybody had dogs (laughs) like there were just no dogs left Everybody had snatched them up and I was in like such grief that like it was always in the shower, but I would start like howling to try and like connect to the dog that was meant for me. I know this sounds so fucking weird. Incredible. I love it. But I feel like I was trying to connect with one of the dogs that were on this card. 
I, it didn't make any logical sense. And I can feel my cheeks like reddening because this, this must sound so weird. But I mean, like how beautiful, like, I think that's, I mean, that is the moon card. But I feel like I totally did. And the dog we ended up getting was a fucking Pisces. Ah, and yeah. looks like one of the dogs on there. He's a monster. But I feel uh, like I totally connected with that dog. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that is, I think what you're, what you're describing is, is the moon card. I think that that is, and I'll, I'll explain why, <laughs> but I do believe that like the story you just told illustrates the moon card better than I could have just sort of talked about it. And here's what, what it is. Um, I think that the moon, I mean, we see the two towers, right. in the Rider White Smith, and that's always going to be gesturing to a portal right, to a transformation. I mean, all the cards are about portals and transformations, but like, to <laughs> yes. be clear, portal and transformation. And um, I think to understand the moon card, we have to look at the star and the sun on either side. Uh, I like to joke that the star is like landing in a new secret level in a video game. So you kind of like show up in this space, which I think is the unconscious. And you're kind of like, okay, what? But suddenly like all of your hearts are back that you lost in the other levels. Like you're kind of refreshed and reset. And it's a little alarming because it's like, hold on, where am I? How did I, what? I don't um, think I but, ever noticed the sun being there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, the, the, this triad, I think, is a really distinct little journey. It's a very distinct little beginning, middle, and end. Um, not that it's ever an end, but, you know, relatively speaking. Because then we come out the other side in the sun card, and, and we've got this sort of rebirth imagery. We've got this truth and clarity and, like, seeing things for how they are. But the moon card as this portal, part of why I realized I finally needed to get the apparition deck the, the, that I was referring to earlier, this Mary Evans deck, um, is because of the moon card, because it shows kind of two crescent moons, one in sort of a puddle of a black field, and then one... Uh, just on the white field of the card and with a bunch of doors between the two crescents. And to me, um, so I don't know if you've seen the Beatles in the Yellow Submarine, but mm. for anyone who has, the sea of holes section is like what I think of with the moon card. Like you stick your hand in one hole and like your, or you stick your arm in one hole and like your hand shows up in a totally different place. Mm. And I think that's kind of the moon card. So to bring it back to your, your, experience of like calling in this companion through the howling and the shower and how like silly or or uh strange it might sound like that is the portal like that nonsense it was a portal isn't that so weird that the shower can be a portal (laughs) completely completely i mean i think it's glennon doyle who tells a story about um how her one of her kids was like i have all these amazing ideas in the shower she was like, well, that's when you're not, like, taking in information. Like, you have time to think. Yes. <laughs> it's time to, like, put down the phone. And even I am, like, a, a chief offender when it comes to, um, you know, listening to podcasts in the shower. And lately I've been trying to just, just be in the shower. <laughs> like, not yes. be taking in any information so that I can have that space for it to be transformative, for it to be a portal, for it to be cleansing and all of that good stuff. So and there's I think something that that was- with like Pisces with being quiet. Yeah, yeah, and the and the allowing the sort of just gushy like malleability to fill the container, you know, 
in a way that like Cancer and Scorpio, for all their wateriness, don't quite, right? Cancer has its own container and Scorpio is like bursting at the seams and Pisces is has this really incredible power to just to just fill. How do you, do you feel like there's any other cards that are similar to the moon card? Like how you talked about the mm-hmm. hanged one and mm-hmm. the wheel of fortune? Let me think. Um, the high priestess comes to mind, but I don't think that they actually are like, they don't have that same tangle um, the way that I see the hanged one in the wheel of fortune. Um or, or justice and judgment is another favorite pair that I'm like, well, what, what is the difference? Like, I know the difference between the high priestess and the moon. Um, and it has to do with like personal involvement and ego and like uh, uh, the sort of costume closet of the first row of the major arcana. Um, but with the moon, I mean, uh, there's, there's something on the tip. I mean, maybe the queen of cups. Oh Yeah. Right, because there's something about that just like total water That's surrender. That's like very sad. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, something I like to say about the Queen of Cups is that it's it's surrendering to dream logic and like allowing that to be its own version of logic. And I mm. think that say now that I'm thinking about it, like the Queen of Cups is perhaps a very strong ally or guide through the moon. Because the Queen mm. of Cups is a little like, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> and the moon is just like be, having that major arcana energy is just such an onslaught that the queen, I think that the court cards bridge between the minor and the major. I think that that makes them the most human cards. Um, and, you know, I have a whole, I have a whole workshop on that that I'll be offering later in the year. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that this, the Queen of Cups being double water, the way I read the court cards is double elemented has this superpower of 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 releasing and sinking through the waters how and do that you is feel like, like i'm sorry i keep interrupting nope. bring it <laughs> bring it on I how, do the same thing. how do you feel like the queen of cups and the king of cups are different mm-hmm. or similar um yeah I, I i was just talking about this yesterday in class actually how i consider the queens and kings across the court cards um i have this ridiculous anyone who's taken a class with me or had like a queen come up in a reading with me will 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 uh perhaps remember this or be reminded of this that i i liken the queens to wi-fi routers now <laughs> the reason <Yeah. laughs> um and this and this picks up on the threads of the conversation of, of gender and gender roles in the tarot and how uh the, that whole tangle of like how are the queens different from the kings how is the emperor and the empress different how do we compare the high priestess to the hierophant or the high priestess to the magician um all of these beautiful questions that i don't think have answers um but are there for us to continue to dig into um regardless of whether or not there's an answer at the end of that of that journey at the end of that dig um I think that the, what I usually bring it back to is um, passive versus active and um, invisible versus visible. Mm. So I think that the reason I like the Queens to Wi-Fi routers is that they do not need to go out and do and be and show up in order to exert their power, in order to offer their power, in order to um, support their people, their community, their world. The way a Wi-Fi router sits in a corner 
and like everything is made possible, <laughs> you know, throughout the home um, or throughout the building or throughout whatever. Whereas the kings, I guess, in the metaphor are more like batteries or like wall plugs, <laughs> you know, that they need to be there doing the thing and like showing up in order to facilitate and support and lead. Um, and, you know, I, I often will tie this back. I, I've been trying to release uh, gender and embrace anatomy and consider the uterus and the phallus, if you will, um, and actually, like, the internal um Oh, my God, element. that's so interesting. Like, right? Like, like uter- the way that gestation takes place in the uterus, um, regardless of the gender of the person who has that uterus, um, or the, or the animal for that matter. Right. Um, versus, um, like the penis erecting and spurting and showing up and being very visible and very sort of, uh, forward and direct, if you will. Um, so considering that anatomy as a duality rather than the gender roles associated with it in our society has been really helpful for me. So to tie that back to the difference between the queen of cups and the king of cups, so if we add back a layer of the cup, I think that the, I mean, my sort of nutshell for each of those cards is the queen of cups is like able to sink back through the waters and like find wisdom there. Whereas the king of cups goes out and steals and, and like brings that experience and that wisdom of those depths to the people um, in, in service in that way of like, you know, the call it the traveling doctor, you know, or the, the midwife who, who, goes to help at the home birth that kind of a thing does that make sense yes I love that it's like a really long journey <laughs> no I'm obsessed um I pulled a card for us for this combo and I pulled the three of cups and the oracle mm. card freedom oh god my heart <laughs> what comes up for you oh I love the three of cups and I think that it is such a beautiful, um, this gesture to, uh, not just community and collective, but like joining together to, to create structure for our emotional and spiritual experience. So like my first thought is like, that that's us joining together to have a conversation that will then be listened to by the third party. Right. So that's the three mm-hmm. figures in that card in a way. Um, you, me and the listener. And that very much calls into my, my experience with theater as well and audience, uh, the role of the audience in that. But I think um, I was, I was talking about this the other day that I see in Okay, so we were asking about, like, these cards that we want to, like, pull apart the nuances, right? The Three of Cups and the Four of Wands is a pair that I often like to use as an Mm. example of that. Because I think that both of them often will bring up these ideas of, like, sort of celebration and, like, joining together in community to rejoice and um, have that sort of abundance and cornucopia. I mean, the cornucopia we literally see in the Rider-White Smith of the the Three of Cups. (laughs) Pink. Now I'm doubting myself. But, um... The difference to me is that the four of wands is just celebrating because we can. It's joy for joy's very own sake. The three of cups, um, I call back to the threes offering structure and support and that sort of like triangle triad of like 
you know, the strongest shape in engineering being a triangle. And I, I see them as dancing together. Um, and this is, this is about to be a big, another big deep dive. Um, but my association with that card is that, um, the way that dance can, uh, be a form of sympathetic magic in that, uh, especially, and this comes from some theater nerdery uh, on, on early, well, not even early modern, but like medieval uh, dance practice, um, that the community would often gather to dance in order to uh, bring order to their microcosm of their community, of their body, by, by following the order of the choreography, in order to, sympathetic magic, um, help bring order to the macrocosm as well, right? So dance as this ritual practice to uh, affect the larger picture through following um, order, in the, order in the smaller picture. So that's what I see in the Three of Cups as this sympathetic magic of gathering together in joy and perhaps, perhaps pleasure and um, communion in order to help bring structure to the, the greater experience of all of those cup things like spirituality and emotionality. Um, so yeah, I mean, my, I can only hope <laughs> that, <laughs> that whoever's listening is like joining us in, in that dance of those three figures in the, in the, at least the, you know, a right away Smith representation of the card um, to, to help kind of complete that sympathetic magic. Yeah. I and then freedom. Yeah. The Oh, that's what we're maybe that's what we're working towards is the freedom like the dance is in pursuit of rather than order perhaps in pursuit of freedom I don't know that's just me spitballing at the end there <laughs> that's so fun I love the idea of ritual mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I think that's that I think that all the threes across the across the um the four suits of the minor arcana which is numerology is a big thing for me in the minor arcana I teach a whole class on it um it, it was really the key for me to kind of getting my head around the the tarot at large, but the minor arcana in particular. Um, they're about structure, all the three. Um, even the three of swords, which is so much about like heartbreak and grief. It's still like the structure of those narratives that we get attached to. And mm-hmm. so uh, I think that ritual even if it's sort of intuitively followed is something about has something about structure um, within which we can then sort of transcend or find freedom or transform or whatever the goal of the ritual might be. So cool. What? It's powerful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Um, what's a card that's come up for you that you can think back on that was like, that you have a story attached to it, something that happened mm-hmm. that was like so profound. Mm. Well, there was one time that I kind of, um, I don't read tarot predictively. I don't deign to know whether or not tarot can be a predictive practice, but I don't read it that way. Um, there was one time when I, in retrospect, was like, oh, I totally predicted the rest of my evening. <laughs> Well, like I got back the next morning and looked at the spread that was lying out on my on my hearth and was like, "Oh, damn, that's totally what happened." Um, and I I can't remember the card specifically. I think it was something to do with like 
taking on like a maternal role and then taking on like a lover's role. So that was, that was, that sticks in my memory. But I also, what really comes to mind is my relationship with the seven of cups. Um, and it wasn't so much that there was an event, but there was just this chapter in my life where I was trying so hard to make decisions when I was nowhere near the, the fork in the road. So because uh-huh. of that experience, Seven of Cups has taken on, because, you know, the traditional interpretation of it, I guess, or the more um, sort of, I don't know what the word is, traditional or like common or, or accepted or whatever, uh, maybe universal, is, is like the idea of a mirage of choice and like having all of these options in front of you, but they're all kind of, a, you know, a hazy in a cloud. Like, again, yeah, that mirage idea. But for me, it was less about like what my options were and more about thinking that I had options at all. <laughs> so I, I, the metaphor that I use is that I, I was at, I was on a path and behaving and, and considering and thinking and stressing out as though I were at a fork in the road when I actually like couldn't even see the fork in the road yet. So kind of anticipating this need to make a decision, um, so that's not so much like a really concrete like story in my life, but it was definitely like a narrative <laughs> and a theme in a very specific chapter in my life, which was like, you know, I think I was uh, like leading up to going to grad school and like was producing a show. Like I was already in all these things. Like I'd already made a bunch of decisions and I, I maybe I was still stuck in the rhythm of decision making when I actually had like moved past that moment. Oh, um, so interesting. So yeah, that's the Seven of Cups. Me and the Seven of Cups. <laughs> that's very, like, anxiety. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just getting, like, stuck in the anxiety. Very much so. Very, very much so. Yeah, and and, and I think that we do, um, You yeah, to say get stuck in it, I think that that's absolutely right because I think that we often, um, and this comes back to the Three of Swords, actually, we get stuck in these narratives of how we are and how we behave. You know, when someone asks how I'm doing, like usually I'll just go, yeah, fine. (laughs) But other times I'll actually go, well, am I? Or like if I've been saying like, oh, I'm shitty for a while, there'll come a a day when I'm like, am I shitty? Like, is that still, have I just gotten used to that answer? Um, Is that actually how I am? Uh, Because it can be overwhelming when, when it's kind of something new every hour. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. What a great example. Um. Okay, so I want to talk about like, your teaching. And, yeah. like, tell me a little bit about it. Like, anything you want to get into. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I, I think it's so much fun I enjoy it so much I learn so much um I I I feel and have gotten the feedback that I I am able to create a space for people to learn more about themselves and I think that's really the key to the teaching for me is like you know I joke that I teach uh, tarot much the same way I, I teach Shakespeare which has really everything to do with um coming to understand ourselves better and that's, you know, that's the goal of, of my readings too. You know, I really like if there was one primary value 
that that ecstatic rabbit and all its offerings um, kind of circle around, I think it's um, self-inquiry. Because I do think that it's through understanding ourselves better that we can understand the world better and that will help us to show up in that world um, with more generosity and uh, care and all of those good things. Um, so with the teaching, like, yes, it's about the card. Yes, it's about um, offering tips and tricks and tools for understanding the card, for researching the cards, for honing intuition. Um, but it's also so much about recognizing ourselves in the cards and recognizing our patterns. You know, something that'll happen often is like a participant will uh, bring forward an interpretation of a card in class and then go, but I don't know if that's just me projecting. I don't know if that's just me putting my stuff on it. And I'm like, that's what you're here to do. That's, these are pieces of paper with pictures on them. Maybe they carry a collective power. Maybe they carry some sort of like a, what is it, an egregore of like energy and meaning and, and influence. But like, really, it's, it's got to be about you. And so to release this idea that there is some correct answer about each card that like exists in the ether, that's not really how I teach. For me, it's really about uh, each participant, um, much as it is with clients, but each participant um, walking away with a better sense of themselves that they can then use and utilize the tarot to continue to build and develop. Um, so I teach a couple different uh, versions of classes at this point. I, I have offered a class on every single card in the deck now. And last year was the first, it was like I taught all year long and it was just like they just were churning out of me. It was like every time I finished up a class, I had the idea for the next one and was offering it and enrolling and all of this stuff, which is so exciting. Um, but this year is definitely kind of taking a drastic step back and going, okay, what's the curriculum? What? are these classes how can i build them more sustainably how can i build them and grow them um so there's everyday magic which looks at the minor arcana through a numerological perspective um and that's just you know once a week uh meeting to talk about all of the aces all of the twos etc cetera, etc cetera. then i offered arc which was <laughs> ended up taking like six months and I am currently deep in restructuring that to make it more uh, accessible and sustainable and like condensed um where we take a look at each of major arcana cards uh individually and then you know kind of pairing them up and and, and comparing a little bit then i have a weekend workshop on the court cards which might turn into a weekly class i'm not really sure but probably there will be another weekend workshop coming up and that's just looking at those 16 cards and really considering them as independent of both the minors and the majors um, I'm developing a webinar for intro to tarot, which I have yet to offer. And then I just finished up yesterday, uh, a new offering called the reader's workshop, which I am so excited about. Um, it's really for folks who have a little bit more experience with the deck. Um, but can also still be beginners, um, where it's kind of like a writer's workshop where like people bring in a spread, they bring in a reading with their question and their interpretation and then sort of share it with the group. And then we kind of just start to pull it apart the way we might if in a writer's workshop where someone like brings in a poem. And then I, as you know, in the leadership position, but opening it up also to other participants, we just kind of start to like peel away and go, hmm, this thing you said about that card, like, let's ask a question about that. Let's dig into that a little bit deeper. 
Um, and it was so much fun. And um, I'm very excited to offer that again, although it'll be a couple of months because I'm about to go into production or rehearsals and production for a, for a play that I'm in. Um, but that's something that I plan to offer kind of continually as a way for people to like drop in and out and have a little, you know, a little bird on their shoulder <laughs> as they try to interpret um, their latest spread. So, yeah, those are those are the current the current kind of lineup. OK, I have so many questions. So <laughs> do you feel like you read like I loved the the parallel between like Shakespeare and tarot Ooh. so like understanding yourself better but it made me wonder do you read tarot like you kind of would a play like a story mm-hmm. 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 And, yeah and yeah. then also if you don't really do predictive elements to tarot like how do you whether it's for yourself or somebody else like what are questions you frequently ask the deck or are there like questions that come up reoccurringly, like one prompts that you like to use to kind of like hone in on the moment or themes that you go back to a lot? Mm-hmm. Um, like how do you use it in your everyday life? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Um, I'll start with the narrative thing because I absolutely do. And I think this is kind of actually ties to your second question. Um, I absolutely do look for narrative in reading. And I think that that's very much kind of a um, pillar of, of the way I approach tarot. Um, now, narrative doesn't necessarily have to be like chronological and linear, right? Which kind of comes to the question on uh, predictive and prompts and themes. Um but yeah, you know, the first, I have this very, very core memory as a tarot reader right before starting my business, I think, or, or a couple months before, where a very experienced tarot reader, and I believe like priestess in some community, um, I was reading for her at the bar and I was so intimidated. And she just went, we were at a Shakespeare intensive, like we met through a Shakespeare uh, training community. And she just goes, tell me the story. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> that's good. That's good. So so that's, that was a big moment for me in terms of going from looking at one card at a time in a spread to seeing the whole spread as, as a whole. Um, and that is part of what I, I try to help with in the Reader's Workshop is to help readers level up if you will or over or just you know shift from kind of a one card at a time interpretation to like both one card at a time and then in order to see the whole picture of a spread um and so I guess to come over to this question of of this like predictive like what are what are the questions I often ask like I mean, I've never put it this way, but I suppose I'm asking the deck often to like tell me a story to help me Ooh, that's move through so the moment. Cool. It, it is. I'm like, as I'm saying it, I'm like, oh damn, I need to write that down. Um, but yeah, because I believe, right, that storytelling. Yeah, you're getting this like right off the top of my head here. I believe that storytelling, that humans turn to storytelling to understand ourselves better, right? And that's part of why I think theater is important and always has been. Um, 
And so similarly, I guess if I'm asking the cards to tell me a story about what the present moment is, yeah, it's going to have a little bit of like, you know, exposition and it's going to have a little bit of like foreshadowing, but it's not necessarily going to tell me what happens because you still choose your own adventure, <laughs> right? It's still, it's still, I still believe that we, we have at least the illusion of choice and just like a placebo pill, it still, it still works, <laughs> you know, to have that illusion of choice. Um, so usually when I pull for myself, I really, I often will speak out loud to the deck um, and just kind of go, you know, I pulled cards myself before, before um, just a couple cards to have with me and uh, before we started this call. And like, I just was like, what do I need to know? What do I need to keep in mind? What do I need to carry with me? Um, what, what, would be useful to, uh, you know, what's it, what's, who's my ally, um, over the next, you know, couple, couple hours of this conversation and, and also this day, knowing that I have a very busy day today and like trying to carve out, um, this time to be focused and, and present in this particular, uh, pursuit of this conversation. Um, so often for me, that's how it'll go. I'll kind of talk out loud. Sometimes I'll just sort of ramble about what's bothering me on a particular day if I'm trying to, you know, find my way through something challenging. Um, and then prompts and themes, like, what it puts me in mind of is, you know, I often will tell clients, like, the more I used to, actually. I don't so much anymore, but I would say that, you know, the more vague the question, the more vague the answer. <laughs> so sometimes, you know, mm. a client would come and have, like, a very sort of, like, well, I don't know, there's this and this and this. And like we get a very yeah, there's this and this and this kind of kind of <laughs> yeah. uh, spread come up in response to that. And as I've gained practice as a reader, I've gotten better at pulling those threads together into a narrative. Um, so I, I I am a little less like bring me a question <laughs> with clients now. Um, but yeah, I mean each of the threads that I offer, I do follow very specific like structures in those spreads um and you know each card has its position and has its like label for the position that it's in and so I do use the themes of those like I use that structure to help anchor um a spread so that we don't uh need the querents the clients the question to to be that anchor for us we can let that be a little more um open-ended uh, and then trust that, you know, I, I will be there to do my job of helping sort of close the end <laughs> a little bit uh, as best I can over the course of the reading. That's so cool. Do you <laughs> feel like you identify with a certain card in the deck or do you feel like it rotates depending on like what chapter yeah. of life you're in? It rotates hard. It yeah. rotates hard. I've always kind of wanted to, you know, I've always know. kind of wanted to. Wouldn't want. that be nice? Right? Yeah, yeah. And and I know people who do, and I'm like, oh, man. Um, but no, I think it's very much chapter-based. Not unlike, you know, the, the deck that I'm drawn to. You know, that I mentioned before that, that that sort of rotates based on the chapter of life I'm in. But yeah, I think that... Um, Yeah, I mean, I will say that I have my my little, uh, you know, my little helpers that feel a little more potent when they do come up. Um, you know, the Queen of Cups is one. Uh, the Empress, of course, <laughs> is also one. 
Um, but, but no, I wouldn't say that there's a card that I like. What is you know, the Empress like, signal to you? Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm in a really, really intense, I have, I have like my work cut out for me by the Empress right now. Um, because, uh, they recently came up in a, in a spread that I received from another reader, um, as the overlooked energy. <laughs> I was like, oh shit. <laughs> like I really kind of left, left that energy hanging. Um, but very much, uh, the opening to receive, right. The, the, the great challenge of accepting love and help and, uh, abundance you know i think that that the empress gets a very sort of glam uh reputation and sort of overall vibe of like lounging on the pillows and like (laughs) a pretty dress and crown and like all of this stuff and like that that sits hard like that is not um not for me at least and i i don't think that the archetype is about ease I think the archetype is about the challenge of leaning back into those pillows and how hard it can be Mm. to just like, especially when things are hard. Yeah, exactly. I think I've only pulled the Empress maybe like twice in my life and it's Mm. always been in like dire (laughs) circumstances. Yeah. 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 And like, I think it is about, I mean, God, like I said, it's about looking after ourselves. It's about nourishing ourselves. Like it's covered in wheat, that card. Like it's about um, abundance and like how hard it can be to embrace the abundance that I think this is a question. I don't know if this is coming from like my, my privilege and my background. I think there's always abundance to be found, I think. Um, but I'm certainly open to like challenges and call outs and call ins on that. Um, but I think that that card is like, yeah, (laughs) everything's a mess, but like, there's still sunlight sometimes. (laughs) And like, yeah, that, that kind of a, that kind of a challenge to open to the beauty that is simultaneous with the not so beauty. Mm, Very cool. Mm. Tricky stuff. (laughs) It is. Do you pull a card a day? Are you those people? No. Ever. I've never managed to build that practice. And of course, that's what I tell, you know, anyone who takes like, especially the people who are in, because um, I offer uh, alongside classes, I also offer one-on-one study where, you know, I can kind of uh, customize a curriculum and and uh, grow in very direct relationship with, with a student. Um, and I always encourage them to do that, <laughs> especially if they're at the beginning of their journey. But I just kind of never, I never did. I never have. Um, I frankly am still not so great at remembering that I have tarot as a tool <laughs> to turn to in the trickier moments. Um, I'm trying to, one of my sort of pseudo resolutions is to turn to the deck more often, um, more often than I have in the last couple of months, but no, I've never been a card a day person. Okay. With being a teacher, do you feel mm. like you resonate with a certain card being like the teacher mm-hmm. archetype, whether it's like the Hierophant or the Hermit or. I'd honestly say it's the fool. Ooh, <laughs> tell me why. Tell me more. I feel like, 
let's say I'm the dog in the pool card. I think that's probably more accurate. I love that. (laughs) Because I think that like, especially because I have yet to teach a class twice, I have felt so very much in the space of, um, of the unknown. I mean, I have the knowns, right? I know the deck. Like, I, I very much trust my knowledge of the deck. And I very much trust, even more so than my knowledge of the deck, I trust my ability to ask good questions. And so I think in many ways um, that, that sort of, hmm, what is it? Because I don't believe in asking questions in pursuit of answers. <laughs> I believe in asking questions, like, to ask the questions. And that's very, like, Talmudic, I think, and very, like, it harkens to my, my Jewish my Jewish roots. Um, but I think I'm that dog who's like encouraging the students as the fool to ask the questions and jump off the cliff and like say the thing that might make no sense and like tell the story about howling in the shower in pursuit of like (laughs) some new puzzle piece clicking together. It's interesting thinking about like the dog. I feel like dogs have like extra senses. Mm-hmm. And this idea of like a sixth sense mm-hmm. bringing forth within the tarot. Yeah, I love that. And kind of the role, because I don't think I'm reading this really interesting book by Bell Hooks on um, teaching. And it's very much about like when did teaching go from like encouraging human development to, you know, uh, disseminating information? you know, call it like the development of knowledge versus the development of wisdom or something in there. Yeah, like teaching and, people um, how to think. Exactly, exactly. Um, and so I think that that like, <laughs> like if we consider the dog sort of the sixth sense of the pool, like I wonder how much a teacher can be that sixth sense. I mean, that's kind of how it feels in the reader's workshop is I'm like just kind of adding in questions <laughs> that like, you know, the person bringing the spread in for workshop um could certainly have gotten to on their own, you know, given the right circumstances, if they had the time and the space or if they, you know, were happened to have had like something else for lunch, you know, all of those sort of random factors that can affect our train of thought. And I'm just there to be like, Hey, how about this? Hey, how about this? How about this other idea? How about this other thing you may not have thought of, you know, not in pursuit of a clearer understanding necessarily, but in pursuit of like just more, more possibilities, more options to consider, more doors open, um, or at least knock on. Okay, change of topic, but random, (laughs) but how do you feel like the Herophant played out last year in the collective? Like, what do you think that was about? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean... Like, I it feels, higher- like, innately confusing. Yeah. yeah. I think that what where the confusion comes up for me has to do with the, the potential for duality in that card and the sort of um, balancing act between embracing the status quo and challenging the status quo, right? Because I think that the higher font inherently represents um, to quote Rotunda Tramble of Sewo Caro in a recent reading of mine, like inherited values and traditions. And I, I think here's, here's, you know, huh. 
I wonder if it has to do because what I what I feel like a lot of people went through last year was really um, a, a simultaneously rejecting a lot of status quo and also like integrating and perhaps reclaiming a lot of status quo that there was um, mm-hmm. a rebalancing. You know, like, yeah, and I think that there was. I think what I'm thinking of is the way that people have come to value uh, their homes and stability and, um, you know, like even turning away from the hustle to uh, try to turn towards um, comfort. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is something that maybe went through a chapter of being rejected comfort you know, all the think pieces on like the gig economy and like, you know, here I am like with like four different careers kind of running at once. And um, I think that there's something very old school, the sort of old schoolness of the Hierophant, like in that return to like, well, maybe I just want to buy a nice couch. (laughs) You know, simultaneous to a rejection of, um, let's call it like gig economy, let's call it capitalism, you know? Um, so yeah, I almost feel like it was a chance for us, and maybe by us, I mean millennials, I'm not sure, to both embrace the values of recent generations in that sort of sense of stability, while simultaneously rejecting maybe their way of getting there. Um, yeah, I think that's the end of my thought on that, but, but something of something about that duality. Hmm. That's so interesting. It's interesting thinking about like the hustle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think that the Hierophant doesn't inherently embody that hustle, but I do believe that the hustle is this, um, priority is, it has value. The hustle is valued by capitalism. So that's where I tie it to the higher fund in terms of this sort of handed down set of values. I don't think that the higher fund at a, at a sort of archetypal core is about that. Um, I don't know that the higher fund is about anything specific at its archetypal core because it is inherently about what the system is um, handing, handing out to the people, uh, whether that's, you know, whether we want to judge it as good or bad. What card or archetype do you feel like dismantles that idea of hustle? Mm. I mean, I think of all of the fours. And I also think of the nines. Like the nine of wands. I think that the nine of wands, you know, it's operating in such with wands associated with fire. It's, so energetic (laughs) the the suit of wands is so kind of all over the place and like ambitious and driven and creative and like very much um that like pick up all of the things pick up all of the hobbies and then like monetize all the hobbies you know um Mm -hmm. and i think that the nine of wands followed uh, also i guess by the ten of wands you know the the ten of wands i often read as like time to drop everything in order to find a new way to carry it all sustainably. It's about, you know, a lack of sustainability, but the nine of wands 
is such a like gentle card. Um, you know, I think the fact that it shows someone who seems to be injured and yet is still standing on their own two feet, but also is using a wand to help them stand. There's something about that, like honoring the burnout while also honoring your own um, continuance and like what's maybe survival is a word for it that I think is a really beautiful balance to answer uh, that drive and ambition uh, that I think can get a little over overblown in, in the capital H hustle. <laughs> I feel like also the nine of swords, mm-hmm. like this fear of lack and just fear yeah. in general that we're, I feel like we're programmed to feel. Yeah. Yeah, and I think in the Nine of Swords, something I love to love to remember when I do is that, like, I think oftentimes the figure in that card may see the swords on the wall as an attack and a problem, when actually, like, they're hanging on the wall and they're maybe even there for you to grab. So I think that there's like a lack of agency that leads to that um, fraught shredding in the Nine of Swords, when it can also be a reminder of like, oh, hold on, if you just take a breath and take a second to look around, you'll see that you have the support of mythology and the comfort and warmth of astrology, which we see, you know, represented on the bed and the the blanket and these, these swords that might feel like baggage and a burden may also be a tool. How do you feel like the eight of swords and the nine of swords differ then or complement each other? Well, I think that the the Eight of Swords is really about listening to your body. I think that the Eight of Swords is about reintegrating reintegrating our our brain into our body. I think that both times that uh, the blindfolds show up, both in the Two of Swords and the Eight of Swords, it's a call to remember that the brain is part of the body. One of the big things that I that I um, talk about a lot in the in everyday magic, which is my minor arcana class, is that um, in our culture, the brain is given more weight than everything else, right? The mind is overweight, and so sometimes, and this happens a lot in like acting classes, and I think it can happen a lot in sort of spiritual spheres and communities and conversations, is that we are told to like leave our brain out of it a little bit and and we kind of like cut off the limb of the mind and the intellect. I'm a little more interested, I'm a lot more interested and far more interested in integrating and in letting the mind and the intellect be part of the whole rather than sort of cutting it into this duality of mind and body. Um, So I think that the eight of swords is really about like, when we're cut off from our go-to senses and our go-to tools, i.e. our eyes and our hands, when we don't have those available to us, can we let the mind and the intellect and rationality communicate all the way down to the feet? Right. Oh my God. Whereas, what does that even mean? Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, what it is, I mean, it's, it's like, um, if we think about the image in the Rider way, Smith, Right. We see this figure who is um, like arguably in a floodplain, like needs to get out of where they are. But they are blindfolded and their arms are bound. Their feet are free. So can they um, I mean, literally imagine trying to make your way, um, say, up a hill or or even like out of a building without your hands or eyes. 
your feet can take in a lot of information. Your other senses can take in a lot of information. But usually, like the brain, when deprived of sight and hands, those primary tools will freak out <laughs> and think that there's like that they're at a complete loss. So I think that the Eight of Swords is really about letting the mind uh, reconnect to those other senses, reconnect to um, the the less primary tools um, in order to take in information, process it, and then do something with it. Wow, that's so good. <laughs> I often will tell people when they get this card to just like massage their feet, like often, <laughs> to like reinvigorate their their nerves and, and to remind the body that the feet are part of, of this whole um radar and like input intake machine that that then gets processed in our brain okay so to go back to the idea of the storytelling and like the whole play thing if you get a character within the tarot will you kind of like embody that character or like try it on Mm -hmm. within your day Mm. so I don't um that doesn't play into my personal practice so much but it does play into my teaching so something that I came around to when teaching the major arcana um when teaching line one back in like April um I kind of I've been trying to understand the distinction between the different the three lines of the major arcana right and what I came around to was this idea of line one as a costume closet as like these different ways of moving through the world, these different archetypes, especially, you know, those first, those first cards where you kind of see this like big central figure um, of going like, okay, what is it to be the fool? What is it to, to put on the garb of the magician? What is it to play the role of the high priestess? And, you know, when we get to the end of line one, we arrive at the chariot and the chariot has symbols from each of the other cards in the line. Like you can find a little representation. So I kind of love this idea that like, we went through the closet of each of these figures as we moved through that first line and then arrive at the end of the line and arrive at the end of this journey of self of like identity and ego kind of picking up bits and pieces as we went along going like, Oh, I like this hat. I like these shoes. I like this coat. I'm kind of collecting what works for us. Um, So that's kind of a more like meta and less sort of directly applicable um, answer to the question but um but yeah that's that's where that takes me do you do a wheel of the year in the beginning of the year whenever you feel like the year starts I have um I don't consistently you know my tarot practice like personally there's not a whole lot of routine to it um it's very uh as needed I think I would say um and that's one of those things where, like, as a practitioner, I'm kind of like, oh, I should be doing blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I ought to, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, I, I, much like I was talking all the way back at the beginning about, um, you know, my spirituality, like, God is what God needs to be for me on a day to be my best self. Kind of how I feel about tarot, too. Like, I, in my best chapters I remember to turn to tarot when I believe the tarot will help me be my best self and sometimes that looks like ritual and sometimes that looks like random and sometimes that looks like pulling 10 cards and interpreting each one and looking them all up in books 
And sometimes that looks like pulling five cards and not using a spread and not even interpreting each one, but just kind of getting a hit of those five cards together and like putting them back and running with it, you know? So it's really, I think part of, part of the tool for me is the practice of uh, releasing structure and releasing expectations. I love that. It's so lunar. Mm, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so yeah, yeah. as we're in the new moon right mm-hmm. now, <laughs> um, do you have any like rituals or things you like to do around new and full moons? Yeah. So um, a lot of it actually has to do with the business. So I've like built it in um, to keep me to keep me in routine. So every new moon, I put out a newsletter. And every full moon, I host um, what I call a moon zoom, which began at the beginning of the pandemic, and is basically like a deconstructed moon circle where we all hop on zoom together, and like each do our own thing on mute for seven minutes. And then afterwards, like I'll pull a collective card and we kind of just all chat. Um, They're a lot of fun. Um, I used to do them every new and full moon. And now I just do them at full moon. So the newsletter at the new moon really like I have started like writing sort of blog style for that newsletter, which I didn't for a while. Um, and I have found that finding that balance of both introspection and um, combined with writing it for an audience, like writing it to be shared and understood by others, which, you know, takes it in a different direction than just journaling has been extremely powerful for me as a teacher um, considering my role as, as an actor who hasn't been on stage with an audience in a really long time. Um, and so kind of that like public facing, balancing um, the deep, deep, uh, you know, new moon in the dark um, introspection that takes place for me. And then at the full moon, I, you know, am like publicly hosting openly this like thing with people where like I'm making space for them and, and holding a container while also having these seven minutes to do my own thing, right? I'm not leading them in anything. I'm just making the space. So that is its own balance as well. Um, I will also say that like my hormonal cycle is very, very linked to the moon cycle. So generally I am contending with, um, you know, raging mood swings and, um, uh, body image stuff and bleeding uh, at the new moon. And that consistency, I think, is sort of a like a built-in sense of routine and ritual. Um, it's part of why I love my hormonal cycle, as painful as it can be sometimes, because it does sort of build in this like demand that my body, that I look after myself. Um, so yeah, that's the, those are the consistencies. That's so Capricorn moon of you. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so productive. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's like building, yeah, like forcing myself into introspection by by setting it as a business expectation. (laughs) Okay, I have, I feel like I have one more question that came up for me. And then I want you to talk about your podcast a little bit. And then we'll wrap it up. But Um, thinking about like Capricorn, like, is there any like hard lesson of a tarot card or like a bitter medicine I feel like as Mm -hmm. Lindsay Mack likes to say that you Mm -hmm. find has like a deeper meaning or like a brighter Mm -hmm. side to it or some sort of something 
to share with mm-hmm. us? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first thing that comes to mind is the sun card. Ooh, the sun um, is hard. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the sun. And I have like, I haven't encountered this so directly in my personal life. Not a lot, but when I have, it's been scary because I think that the sun card for all its images of like beauty and freshness and like the baby and like the golden curls and the sunflowers, I think that it's actually a card about seeing things clearly. I think it's about the light shining into the dark corner. Um, I think that it's about uh, seeing the truth when the truth is not always easy to encounter. And I think that we see that in the card, you know, because someone might come back and go like, yeah, but like the images are so bright and, and full of joy and buoyant. I'm like, yeah, that's absolutely there. And I think that there are times when the sun card will come up and it's like, hell yes, like this big, big, happy, shiny joy. But at the bottom of the card, we have like a wall between us and those sunflowers. And the horse that the baby is riding on is like this gray, ghosty, like it always reminds me of the, um, for any like opera geeks out there, like the statue in Don Giovanni of the, of the dad, right? Who like comes to life and like sends Don Giovanni to hell, spoiler alert. Um, but like <laughs> these, these like, these, this like big monument statues, like that's what that horse looks like to me. Um, and so there's something really like, uh, putting about that like eerie yeah exactly yes that's a really good word for it and so I think that that is at the foundation of the card right we literally see it at the bottom of the card and then above it is all of this shining beautiful etc and so I do think that the card is about many many things right but I think that at core or perhaps the umbrella is just about like seeing what is so and we, we reach that card after this journey into the, the underworld, if you will, this journey into the unconscious of the star. I mean, what is it? It's like devil, power, star, moon. Like, that's bonkers. Um, so I think that it is a journey through difficulty, challenge, temptation, destruction, um, salvation, and healing. Uh, and then that like journey on that moon river to show up seeing the world clearly as we return back to the world of the living, let's say. Oh, that's so interesting. I've been pulling that card reversed for like mm-hmm. my baby. Mm-hmm. So like I'm mm-hmm. pregnant. So oh my. I feel like I've. Oh, hold on. Sorry, did I lose you for a second? Uh, you can't, You said, hold on, and then you went out, yeah. <laughs> okay, all right, I'm back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I keep pulling that for my baby, and I feel like it's like a little spirit baby type of thing, <laughs> where they're like <laughs> kind of floating around in the ether. Um, I, yeah. In this idea, but it's like a little spooky, right? Yeah. It's like, you don't know where they are, or like... Oh. But also, yeah. like, the whole idea of birth feels very, yeah. like, messy and intense. Yeah. Totally. And, like, 
I have not been pregnant, but my understanding is that like it's a it's a chapter where you learn some stuff about yourself and your body, and like <laughs> there's there's a lot of sort of like truth of experience in this world that kind of comes to the forefront in a way that it might not um, if your body isn't going through <laughs> such a process. Um, and then you know I think in a, in a simpler sense, there's something to that of like. Uh, yeah, the unknown, like there's the known of this physical experience. And then there's the unknown of like what happens on the other side. Like once they, once the, this, this being moves through the portal, that's still not in the light, right? That's still not like the light is not shone yet on that being in that way. Yeah. It's like the process of knowing things. Yeah, 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 exactly. Kind of just a not acid in a way. (laughs) Yeah, that's so cool. Uh, (laughs) Okay, tell everyone about your podcast because I'm newly obsessed. (laughs) So I ran a podcast for basically the entirety of 2021. Um, It started very impulsively and um, ended very impulsively as well. I say ended. It's on, I don't know if it's a hiatus. I don't know if it's over. I have no idea. I stopped recording episodes. I made that conscious decision actually in real time while recording. So if you listen to the last or the second to last episode, you'll hear me go like, I think I'm going to stop now for a bit. Um, so yeah, it, it was so much fun and I just don't know what it'll be next, but I knew that I did not have the space to give it um, in, in these first months um, of 2022. So it, the structure that it follows is, there's like new and full moon um, card pulls uh, throughout the year where I talk a little about the lunation and I talk about the astrology and um, then pull a card for that moment in time. Now, as much as that is sort of specific to those moments in time, it's also, um, you know, I, I title each episode with the card name because it's also just me riffing on a card. So like, you know, I hope that it can be a resource to people uh, maybe, you know, if you were interested in taking a class with me, but kind of want to hear how I talk about the cards more than I have already in this podcast, um, you could go listen and go like, okay, I wonder what her take is on like the two of pentacles and go listen to kind of me riffing on that card a little bit. Um, so while it is relevant to the moment when it was pulled, it also, I, I brought in a lot of my sort of consideration of the card in general in any moment in time. And then the other timeless aspect is that I have interviews on there. I have some really um, exciting interviews with a bunch of different people. um, And uh, those, you know, we talk about various topics uh, pretty specifically um, that, that seem relevant to their work or that I've been like wanting to ask them about. Um, So those are all there. You know, you can find it on any podcast platform pretty much. Um, and I have no idea what comes next with that, but it's all there in the archive to be listened to. Um, and I'm, a lot of it is really like brief too, you know, uh, I tried to keep the card pulls like short and sweet, you know, commute length perhaps, or, or some people's commute. Um, so yeah, that's, that's there to be found. You can find that, uh, link to it on my website, ecstaticrabbit.com or just search ecstatic rabbit podcast on like. Apple Podcasts and Google and Spotify and Stitcher and a couple others. (laughs) 
You have such a good podcast voice. It is very trained. <laughs> I, I have paid many monies and hours for, for my voice to be what it is. That's very so honest. That's, it's my, it's, you know, I, like I said, I have an MFA in acting, um, Shakespeare specific, and Shakespeare acting cares a lot about the voice. Um, I think all acting should and, and does yeah, when I teach it. it but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thank you. Thank you. I'm, I love to hear that. I, I, I hope that it means that I'm um, able to communicate from a place of integrity and uh, uh, truth and clarity all at once. Yes, totally. Um, where can everybody find you and uh, sign up for all of the things and yeah, your Instagram and all that? Mm-hmm. So actually, today I posted my first post on my new Instagram account. Um, for a while, at the beginning of this business, I had a devoted Instagram account for the biz. And then last year, I just did not have the energy to keep up with both. So I just merged it all into my one personal account. But you can now find me at um, on Instagram, ecstatic.rabbit.caro. Um, or search my name, Sarah Corbin Wolf, and it should come up. Um, so that's going to be where all of my tarot stuff is living. And then I have my website, ecstaticrabbit.com. And there you can learn more about me. And like I said, find like podcast archives. There's more information about those moon zooms, which are free, by the way. Um, and uh, of course, look at bookings for my readings, which are pretty much always available. And then keep an eye on what classes are, are offered and when. And then, of course, you can sign up for my newsletter, which goes out twice a month new moon and full moon the new moon has that sort of bloggy musings as well as different like news and updates and the full moon is just like a quick bulletin uh with with updates if i have them that doesn't go out as consistently as the new moon newsletter um yeah what else i you know i have a facebook page i don't really use it i have a twitter i don't really use it (laughs) instagram is really the place to keep up with me what what's with the rabbit (laughs) okay um the rabbit so it it comes back to Shakespeare actually the first summer that I spent really training deeply in in theater was a Shakespeare program and I lived in a basement apartment and at the end of the road on my drive uh through this sort of this town in the Berkshires um from where I was living to the theater there was like a a bunny family living at the end of the road. And like consistently I would be running late to rehearsal or class because I stopped to watch these rabbits. They were so incredible to me. Um, The, the quietness, the readiness, the gentleness, just like they're cute as hell. Um, But also having that sense of like the potential for ferocity, like a la Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Like there's just something about them that I think is so, you know, there's all of those like fertility aspects, but also this sense of being ready at any moment to do what needs to be done to like get out of there or to hide or like whatever it might be. So something in there. And then um, the word ecstasy I, it, same summer, I was playing Ophelia in Hamlet, and the word ecstasy comes up so many times in that play. 
And because of this like deep, deep dive on Shakespeare that I was doing, I was, you know, like looking up every single word in the dictionary on OED, finding all these different definitions. And the word ecstasy has so many different meanings, um, ranging from like madness to like religious experience, just like happiness and then like drugs and sex. Like there's so much in that word. And I think that the way that it kind of like it all gets piled in, like says so much about us as like a culture. Um and the way it's both vilified and sought out at the same time. And um, I wound up, my I think my mother suggested the, the name, or I had this idea of, of combining them. And I wanted to, I was like, do I get a tattoo of the word ecstasy? And then I do have my, the logo for my business. I have as a tattoo, my tattoo artist actually gave it to me at the end of our session after tattooing it on my body. I was like, here, if you want to use this for your business, like it's yours, um, which like incredible uh, shout out. Um, and the, the idea of the ecstatic rabbit comes around to a rabbit binkying which if you know anything about rabbits, they do this thing when they're really happy where they sort of like jump in the air and like do a little twist. <laughs> it's really, really, that. it's amazing. Like 10 out of 10 recommends uh, YouTube videos of that. Um, and yeah, it, it just became the thing. And I think it sounds great, like poetically, like I love the sounds of those two words together. And it gave me this way to like uh, celebrate ecstasy without like tattooing the name of a club drug on my body, <laughs> you know? And, and at the same time, like I think that rabbits have this sort of almost this quiet timidity association, but that is not all they are. And I think that that aspect of the, of the ecstatic um, really expands the nuance uh, capable of, of those creatures and of, of us. Um, and, you know, it's a catch-all. It can be tarot, it can be coaching, it can be education, it can kind of be anything. Like, my DBA is just ecstatic rabbit, um, non-specific. So, so, yeah, that's the rabbit thing. That's such a good story. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. I had so much fun that's talking fun. with you. Too. It's really, like, I am, I am honored to be amongst the ranks of those you have had on your, on your pod. And, um had such a wonderful time during this conversation and like so many ideas that I've had for the first time that I'm gonna have to go like listen over this and be like okay write it down what did I say what did I say I <laughs> so know thank there you. are so many good nuggets mm-hmm. yeah and I think that's always a credit to the interviewer for asking really good oh, questions stop it <laughs> Well, thank you so much. You took so much time out of your day. I really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode with Sarah. I'm so happy that you are here. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave it a rating and review. Shout out to our music today, Golden Ocean by Minor. 
And that's it. Until next time, folks. Smooches. Mwah. I'm telling you, I'm not the one.